Today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. If you have a Bible, let's open up there. As today we study the church in Laodicea. Notice how we read here in Revelation 3 in verse 14. It says, Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says to the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And so we've gone through the, the different churches. I don't know if you guys have been with us throughout all the studies. If you haven't, I encourage you to go through and read, read all the letters to the different churches. You know, the, the first church, Ephesus, was a loveless church. And when I read that uh, church, I think, Lord, are you still the first love of my life? You know, you have to examine your heart. The second church is the suffering church. Or are we willing to suffer and sacrifice for Jesus? And then you continue on with the, with the compromising church or the corrupt church of Thyatira. And that was a church that was just religious and uh, they had many idols. And then you go on to the Church of Philadelphia, which is the beautiful, faithful church that gets raptured. Lord, I want to be that. Then you also have the Church of Sardis, which is a dead church. And so, you know, you search your heart. I think in all of these, I, I don't know if you're here and you're thinking, man, I got it all together. You know, I'm just Smyrna and Philadelphia. None of other stuff touches me. Well, maybe you are. Maybe you're a Daniel. Maybe you're a Job. But more than likely, we all have areas of our life that need to change. And, uh, and so, you know, today we come to the Church of Laodicea. And it can be a very convicting message, but it can be a very good thing for us because we're going to see that this church was the lukewarm church. And so the Lord writes to them, my prayer is that as we go through this, because next week we're going to have Richie's going to come up and share on the rapture. And then we're going to get into the book of Revelation and all the crazy things that are going to happen in the tribulation period. And so it's going to be a lot faster. But before we get there, before we get into all that prophecy stuff, we have to, first of all, ask Jesus, ask Jesus to show you, to show us where we are. I know a lot of times in the world today, I, there's a lot of finger pointing. And I remember Romaine, when he would teach, he was Ch uh, Chuck Smith's assistant pastor. He would say, whenever you're pointing a finger, there's always three pointing right back at you. And so that's cool. You want to come down on everybody else and, and the world and all that kind of stuff. You can. But um, remember, judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And as far as the answer to the problems of our nation, it has to do with a church that is powerful, a church that is holy. And so I think that we have to make sure that we also assume our own responsibility. And so it's really good, you guys. It's really good. I don't know about you. This is the type of person I am. Um, you may not believe it because you're like, well, man, you always teach it to us. I, I do because I have to. But whenever I read these things, I always, I always just try to examine my own life. Lord, what part of this applies to me? And so here we have, again, the angel of the, the church of the Laodiceans. And so the angel is in reference to the pastor whose purpose was to relay the message to the people or to the teachers whose task was to teach these words to the congregation. And so he's writing this message so that they can then share it with others. 
and this church. It's interesting. Here's something that some people think is significant. Notice it says, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Now, in the other churches, he says to the church in Ephesus or the church in Sardis or the church in, you know, Pergamos. Uh, but now it's to the church of the Laodiceans. And some people will say that that's because it wasn't really, in, in one sense, um, you know, belonging to God. It was like the church of the Laodiceans. As a matter of fact, something very interesting, the very name Laodicea, it comes from the word Laia, laity, and Dicea, diocese, it means that the people ruled themselves. There's a lot of churches, they have what's called congregational rule. Um, but, you know, what we see I when that's the case, when the people are just ruling themselves, is they don't have Jesus Christ as Lord. And so it's interesting here, he says to the church of the Laodiceans, and so here's this fellowship there in a fascinating city. Now, real quick, just to let you know, the Church of Laodicea, and I remember when he's writing to the seven churches there in Asia, there would be this postal route. And so Laodicea is now the last city on that postal route, about uh, 10 miles from the church in Colossae. And uh, it's interesting, uh, Laodicea, you may have noted, is a word that we're familiar with because it's mentioned four times in Paul's letter to the Colossians. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, it actually says that Paul wrote a letter to that church. And so the city was uh, a significantly wealthy city. It was situated in the valley at the juncture of several important trade routes, and so it was amassing a considerable amount of wealth. It was so wealthy, check this out, that in the year A.D. 60, after being devastated by an earthquake, the Laodiceans promptly rebuilt their city without making a single appeal to the federal or Roman government for the customary financial aid. In other words, this city had the money, and they were very proud of it. And we're going to see later that this can get in the way sometimes. This was the case for the church as well, a very, very wealthy church. And many times people have the misconception, whether it be a church or an individual, that because you have a lot of money, you're blessed. It doesn't always work that way. We're going to see later the church had big bucks and a big bank account, but they had big problems. Laodicea was also known for its medical school, commended even by the famous, you got one foot in the world, and you got one foot in the church. And the Lord here, as he's talking to Laodicea, I, I, I really believe he's talking to our church today. You know, for the most part, we're going to see, last week, I think, or was it the week before, I told you guys that you and Calvary Chapel Almani, that in one sense, I, I kind of see you as the Church of Philadelphia, you know, because you're faithful in so many ways and you're going to get raptured. But I also know that even in the body, you know, you might be here and you're, you know, praise God that you're here. Praise God that you might be watching. But deep down inside, you know that you're not right with God. You know that you're like Solomon who was half-hearted. Oh, you're not like Saul. Saul had no heart. But you're not like David either, where, you, where you're wholehearted. That somehow, and it's very difficult 
in the United States of America, it's very difficult to live in this land of material prosperity where, you know, like the standards that we have, the, the plumbing, the electricity. You know, you go to Cambodia, and how many pairs of shoes do you have? You know, think about that. I mean, I, mean, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but man, some people have like a hundred pairs of shoes. And you go to Cambodia, and, you know, they got one pair, one pair of underwear. Some have no shoes. But when you see them worship, Jesus, when you see them worship, it is amazing. It, it really puts us to shame. But wait a minute. I have all the shoes. I'm blessed. I have air conditioning. You know, we, we're this heat and we can't handle it. We're melting and we're complaining. And, and they're over there worshiping in not just the heat, but in the humidity so again, I'm not saying this about everybody, but I am just saying that we really need to check our hearts because if Jesus tells you, he's the amen and he's the, he's the true and faithful witness, not Manny, but if Jesus tells you that you're lukewarm, understand it's motivated by love because he wants to bring a great awakening. You know, it says he's the faithful and true witness. And we saw a little bit of this back in chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to see it again in chapter 19, verse 11, where the Bible says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And there's so much we could say on this point, but one of the reasons, again, for the revelation is if we see Jesus for who he is, then we can trust his diagnosis, his verbal and circumstantial discipline, and then hopefully we'll be open to his redirection. You know, as a faithful and true witness, he not only tells us the truth, but he tells us the hard truth. The last thing we see here as far as the way that Jesus identifies himself is that he is the beginning of the creation of God. And what we see in this point is that he doesn't just point out our struggles. He has the power to help us through and even out of our struggles. Uh, the New King James, it uses the word beginning, but the Greek word is the word arche. Can you guys say that word with me? Arche. That's the Greek word, arche. We get our English word architect from this word arche. And what it really refers to is not that Jesus was created. Some will say that he was the first creation of God. No, as the Arche, he is the architect. He is the source of all creation. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 3, that all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And so the one who's uh, basically saying, hey, you guys are lukewarm. Hey, you got one foot in and one foot out. Hey, wake up and get, uh, catch a fire, you know, and get baptized with the Holy Spirit is the one who's not only able to identify the problem, but also to give you the solution and give you the, 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 the power. Because he is the, the source of all creation. That's who he is. We see the same thing in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, and then again in Colossians 1, 15, where the Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
And so God is in one sense invisible, but in another sense he isn't. He's visible. When we look at Jesus, we see God, right? So he is the image of the invisible God, and he is the firstborn over all creation. And what that word is in reference to is he has the right of the firstborn. What we see is that the fact that he is the image of God speaks of his deity, and the fact that he is the firstborn over the creation of God speaks of his authority, which means he bears the rights of the firstborn. Another English word that we get from this Greek word is the word archbishop. And an archbishop is one who is an authority over all other bishops. And so Jesus, as the arche over creation, has all authority over creation. And so this is the one who made everything, maintains everything. Let me tell you, let me ask you a question. If the Lord were to say, hey, there's something wrong in your life, if Jesus were to say it, doesn't that make a big difference than if Manny were to say it or if, you know, your wife or your husband or whatever, uh, the, the friend? I mean, sometimes God works, he, he speaks through people. But the Lord here, he really wants to deal with us in the days that we're living in, you guys. Um, I, I know that when I first started as a Christian, um, man, I'll tell you, uh, such a wonderful, beautiful, amazing time when God came into my life. And I, I don't know, not that I have, have it all together, because I don't. But I tell you what, once I understood, once God came into my life, once I was free, once I was forgiven, once I discovered God's love, I began to run. I began to run, and I've never looked back. Never, never, by the grace of God, I have never slowed down in my service unto him. He's always been first, and then my family, and then the ministry, and all the other worldly stuff, it falls by the wayside. If there's room for it, fine, but usually there's not. But what I see so often in the church today is, man, you know, the, the Lord, you know, maybe you start off good, but next thing you know, you're not running like you used to. You're not serving like you used to. You're not seeking God the way you used to. And so what we have to do is just examine our hearts. And it's something that only God can tell you. You know, none of us are perfect. But if you're lukewarm, Jesus said here, he will vomit you out of his mouth. And so we're going to see what that means. It's, it's definitely not pretty. But what we see is the Lord says to this church, hey, the, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the the one who has all authority over God, over creation, I'm speaking to you. Notice what he says in verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. He says to Laodicea, what's true of your water is true of you. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced it on a hot day. Don't you want a cold glass of water? But imagine on a hot day drinking like lukewarm water. It's gross, huh? Or maybe on a cold day, you know, you want a hot cup of tea or coffee or something. And, uh, uh, you know, you need that. But what happens sometimes is it's lukewarm. And the Lord says, listen, 
I, I wish you were hot, or I wish you were cold, but since you're neither, uh, I want you to know that I, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You know, the Lord says, and we're going to see it later, I love you with a love you can't even begin to imagine. But as far as the church goes, and here's the, the hard part, what good is lukewarm water? What, what good is it? There are some who say, well, what he's saying is that I wish you were either cold or hot and that I wish you were either like, uh, you know, like dead in your sins or on fire. Because at least if you're dead in your sins, you'll know you need me or something. But I don't think that's what the Lord is saying. I think what the Lord is saying, you guys know this, that there's, there's, a, there's a purpose for a cold drink. There's a purpose for a hot cup of coffee. But there's not a purpose for the things that are in between. And like one of the commentators said, basically the lukewarm Christian in many ways is the useless Christian. And I, and I wanted to speak through you, but now I have to actually vomit you out of my mouth. It's, it's not just irritating, Jesus says, it's actually nauseating. You know, to have one foot in the world and another foot in the church and you know, to be half-hearted in your service for the Lord, it's like, yeah, I'll serve Jesus when it's convenient for me, when the weather's right, when everything is nice, hunky, and dory, you know, but don't ask me to make any sacrifices for him. Don't ask me to serve until it hurts or give until there's, you know, that type of stuff. The Lord is saying here, listen, we can't be nominal our commitment. We can't be complacent Christians who put it in cruise control. You know, we in America, I think, know this firsthand that the way you get lukewarm water is you mix it together, right? A little hot and a little cold. And I think that a lot of times we think we can have the best of both worlds, and we really try to do that. When God says, no, you can't have the best of both worlds. You need to have my will for your life. You know, John Stott, he said this. He said, perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the 20th century church than this. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath of religion. And I think we know it's true, huh, guys? I think we do. Again, none of us are perfect, but I know even in my own life, uh, the Lord is just saying, I, I want, like, all of you. You know, and I read these stories about someone like A.W. Tozer who prayed for four hours, sometimes in the snow. And I read these stories about someone like D.L. Moody. He lived and he shared with, with a non-believer at least one lost person every single day. He had that commitment, had that conviction now, I don't know what, you know, you're called to do as far as your prayer life. I don't know what you're called to do as far as the evangelism or the gifts or the talents God's given you. But we all have to make sure that we are engaged in this wholeheartedly. You know, it's such a battle in this country. You know, I think of all the movies that are being made. I think of the music that people are listening to. I think of the social media that mandates and all the mantras of this world. And, and what ends up happening is it, it just brings this temperature, this lukewarm church, because they're, they're trying to take them both in. 
Now, Sandy Adams, he said this, Sadly, the church of Laodicea looks a lot like the church today, neither spiritually frozen or on fire. This is room temperature. She takes her cues from the world, but like a warm drink on a hot day, God spews her out of his mouth. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, man, there's a guy named Steve Camp, and he wrote a song, and uh, it stuck with me over the years. He said, uh, Lord, take your plow to my fallow ground. Let your blade dig down to the soil of my soul. Because I become dry and dusty, and Lord, there must be richer earth lying below. Because I've been living in Laodicea, and the fire that once grew bright, I've let it grow dim. And the very one I said that I would die for has been forgotten as the world's become my friend. And that song stuck with me throughout the years. Because sometimes you get people, and man, they're not really interested in the things of the Lord. And the Lord says, as a result of this, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, that's a kind of a weird picture, huh? When was the last time you guys threw up? I'm just curious. Do you remember how gross that is? How it smells and all that kind of stuff? Um, uh, and one commentator was even talking about how there's a certain... Like if you were to take poison, there's certain medicine they give you in order to vomit, to vomit it out. He's saying maybe that's what this church is. Uh, another thing he was saying is maybe it's poison itself that needs to come out. And so there's definitely an infinite difference between what they were saying and what God was saying. Between what they thought about themselves and between what God knew about them. Look at verse 17. He says, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Not only, this is crazy, not only was this church complacent, but this church was also ignorant about their own spiritual condition. They were kicking back, casual, carnal, without a clue. They had a massive misconception of themselves. He says that they were saying this about themselves, but Jesus was saying something else. And that's why it's important to get Jesus' perception of who we are. And this is also why it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and why it can be hard for a rich church to represent the kingdom of heaven. You know, money can buy a lot of nice things. It can even buy people who like nice things. When scrutinized through human lenses, money and the things money can buy make a church look very successful. And that was the church in Laodicea. When in all reality, they were spiritually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And, you know, as you go through all these different churches, there's so much that we can talk about. But maybe you might want to uh, write down Romans 7, 24. Because in that passage, Paul talks about the wretched man that I am. And when he says, you know, they think, oh, we're great. You know, we got it all together with this dynamite, you know, church. And when the Lord actually uh, identifies them, he says, in all reality, you're wretched. And in Romans 7, it talks about the man 
who just does not have spiritual victory. He does the things that he doesn't want to do. And the things that he wants to do, he doesn't. And so that a lot of people, I think, are, are there. You know, praise God, maybe you're saved. But in all reality, um, we find ourselves a lot of times without that type of victory. And so uh, Romans 7, he says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And then you go on, Romans chapter 8, and it's all about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I think that when we yield ourselves to the Lord like that, I think we understand like who we are and how much we need him. That we're, we say we're rich, but we're actually poor. We need his power. We need his spirit. Then when it comes in, and Romans chapter 8 is a beautiful chapter. I encourage you to read it through. I think a lot of what words that, you know, baptism of the Holy Spirit, because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're on fire for him, when you're sold out and surrendered, completely committed to him, when the Lord comes in, it's not you, it's him. It's such a beautiful thing that God does. And the church that is lukewarm, Laodicea, half-hearted, is definitely walking without the power of God. And so we're going to see, you're like, well, how does it work? Uh, I think we can simplify it today. Look at verse 18. The Lord says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined, that you may be rich, and, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. And so, what does the Lord say? The Lord says, I counsel you to buy from me. It's time to get real. Um, and you're not going to have to pay money for it. It's free. God says, I have gold for you. God says, I have clothing for you. I have ointment for you. I want to make you rich. I want to clothe you in my righteousness, imparted righteousness, and I want to give you the, the ability to see the kingdom of God. And the Lord says, this is all I, I say, this is my counsel. You know, in, in John chapter 9, there's an interesting story there about the religious leaders who they missed out on the opportunity for Jesus Christ to bless them and save them and use them because they refused to let him show them who they really were. They were actually blind. And so the Lord says, if only you'd admit your blindness, then I would allow you to see. Now, Warren Wiersbe said, as he did with the man whose account is told in John chapter 9, Christ might even irritate before he illuminates but we must submit to his treatment and then maintain good spiritual health habits so that our vision grows keener. You know, the, the gold, you know, I don't know if you guys realize this, but you got your physical bank account. And praise God, some of you guys, you're blessed and you're secure and you're in great shape. You know, thank God for that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're right with God. It doesn't mean that you're wrong with God either. Sometimes people, however, think, well, because our church is like this big bank account, or because I have this big bank account, that I'm right with God. It doesn't always work that way. Some of you here, you're very poor. 
you're like, I don't have a bank account, you know? You're very poor. But the Lord said to Smyrna, hey, you guys, you're poor, but you're rich. And he says to this church, you're rich, but you're poor. So which would you rather have? Would you rather have, if you had to choose, the physical riches or the spiritual riches? And some of you are saying both. Well, listen, if you had to choose, if you had to choose, Lord, I want the spiritual riches. And the Lord is saying, okay, come on, let's do this. Let's get real. Let's do a new deal today. Let me give you some gold. Let me give you my clothing, the clothing of righteousness. In the very beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord killed an animal and covered them with the skins of righteousness. And that's how we get saved. And then when you read the Bible, there's even that clothing of good deeds. And God will do that. I mean, some of you, you're, you're very, very, very good dressers. Man, and you look sharp. And I know I, I need help from my family sometimes and all that kind of stuff. But... You know, just because you dress good on the outside doesn't mean you really dress good on the inside. You need more of Jesus, more of Jesus. And then there's this uh, ability or lack of ability to really see what's really going on. Sometimes I see it, and I, maybe I'm wrong because I'm just a man, but sometimes I look at someone and I think, man, there's so much potential there. But I can see it. They're half-hearted in their commitment to God. I've been a Christian now for 31 years. And I've seen a lot of people, a lot of things. And not based on experience. Again, well, it doesn't mean I know everything. But sometimes my heart aches because I see people who used to love the Lord with a reckless abandon, no longer serving him in such a way. And they start getting caught up in so many things. And as a pastor, I think, man, what a bummer. What a bummer what is happening to that person's life. And so when you have the eye salve, you have the ability to now see things the way that God sees them. And so we don't do it with money, but we do it with a response. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, it says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without prices. And again, it's not about money. It's about you coming, right? Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. And that everlasting covenant, the sure mercies of David, which David is he talking about? Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Are you thirsty? Do you know you need him? The Lord says, come and buy. But it's not with money. It's, it's called, Hudson Taylor called it the exchange life. You give me your life, Jesus says, and I'll give you mine. And you watch the way your life will radically change. You know, we read in verse 19, the Lord says, As many as I, I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You know, verse 19, the Lord 
says the reason for the rebuke, and that's a, a verbal, you know, disciplinary words. You know, sometimes those are words that are hard to hear. Um, the reason for the, the discipline, the reason for the chastening. And let me just say this, that sometimes people, they go through hard times in their life because of the fact that they are doing well. Sometimes people go through hard times because they're in sin. God does discipline people. You know, sometimes I, I check my own life, you know, like it could be anything as simple as an injury or whatever. It could be a lot of different things. And I always, you know, I don't automatically say, oh, the devil, the devil. You know, maybe it's me. Maybe it's something I've done wrong. And God disciplines us. I think a lot of times people, unfortunately, they think they're Job. Oh, you know, it's because I'm so right on that I'm going through what I'm going through. I, I will come in and we will meet and we will eat together. And I will share with you the things that I need to share with you. You know, that, that intimate, personal, beautiful, indescribable time with God. You know, we got time for all the other things. I, a lot of times, and I don't know how you guys are, maybe a lot of you here, you're doing well. Maybe a lot of you here, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you're solid in your, in your devotional life. And I just thank God for those in the church who are. But a lot of people, they aren't. They, you know, they go and they exercise. They go and they watch television. They go and whatever, work around the house. And for whatever reason, they have time to do all those other things. But they don't have time to spend alone with God. And as someone who's been walking with the Lord all these years, I can tell you, I just do not understand how someone can live their Christian life that way. When the Lord is saying, hey, I'm knocking. Can I come in? Will you open up the door so that we can meet and eat? Imagine that Jesus now outside his church. I like that passage in Song of Solomon. It says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, open for me, my sister, my love, and my dove. You know, it's interesting. Look at verse uh, uh, 20. Again, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he says, if anyone hears my voice. You might want to circle that word anyone because he's very he's making it very, very individual. Ron Rhodes said, if more individuals develop a close relationship with Christ, then the entire church will benefit. And that's how it works, huh? You know, as an individual here today, do you have that quiet time with God? Do you even know what that is? If you don't, you talk to somebody. You talk to your sister or your brother or your parents or your children or one of the church you know, servants, and we will encourage you on how to have that time alone with the Lord because it's so important in the days that we're living in. Notice what Jesus says in verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches. And what we find is that these overcomers will be eternally rewarded. And it's interesting, the Lord says, I overcame. In other words, he went through the battle. He went through the fire. He, you know, went, you know, and had war against the devil. I mean, he fought the world in that sense, and he overcame. And, and in one sense, the father, he saw that in his son, and because of that, you know, when you look at the book of Revelation, it says in the midst of the throne is the lamb. And so Jesus shares the throne with his father. It's an amazing thing. But now he says, how about you? If you can wake up from your spiritual slumber, from your lethargy, from your lukewarmness, if you can, you know, say no to the world, do not love this world, do not be conformed to this world, don't be friends with this world. If you can become like David, wholehearted for God, then you will overcome. And he says, and then what we'll do is you can share my throne. And what that is talking about is how we will be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. But we must endure. Second Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. That's why we're called kings. In Revelation 5 verse 10, the Bible talks about how God has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We're going to reign during the millennial kingdom, according to Revelation chapter 20 in verse 6, where the Bible says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. But it doesn't end there. We will somehow reign with Jesus in heaven forever and ever. The Bible says that in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 5, that there shall be no night there. They shall need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I don't know about you, but man, I get sleepy a lot of times. I mean, I could be watching um, something on TV with my family, and I'll be sitting next to my wife, and she'll say, ask me to give her a massage on her hand. And I finally figured it out. It's not because she wants a massage. It's because she wants me to stay awake. <laughs> she has that about her. I think, really, she's thinking of me more than she is of herself. And I... My heart is just broken at the church so many times that they're sleeping and they got one foot in and one foot out, so carnal, so worldly, so caught up in this kingdom. You know, and again, I know some people are staying home because they are, you know, they have to, and I totally understand that. We're talking today about people who die from this. But I think others, they're going everywhere else, but they're not coming to church. God's checking our hearts. And my heart, in these days that we're living in, it's aching. 
because he is worthy of all that we are. God was nailed to a cross for us. And why is it that we are so hesitant to make those sacrifices? I just know that when the Lord got a hold of my heart, that he just brought me to a place where I realized every thought, every word, every deed, every action, every decision, every day, that I completely belong to him. And I pray that we would have that heart. You know, today I brought something special to show it to you guys. Have you guys seen one of these? It's a temperature reader. So before you guys go home today, I want to read your temperature to make sure you're not lukewarm, okay? I'm serious. No, I'm just joking. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you.